Do you dream of wearing a hoodie or t-shirt bearing the intricate and mysterious design of a Han Dynasty bronze mirror? Or featuring one of our seasonal logos like the Dogu or Kofun Tomb? Make that dream come true at the podcast's official merch store, found at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 4, Episode 6, Prince Nagaya's Revenge. Smallpox has largely been eradicated in the modern world, and frankly, the more I researched the disease, the more grateful I became for the massive effort in the 1970s, which made that achievement possible. The first symptom is a fever, followed by the characteristic rash, which almost always leads to scarring. Without the benefit of germ theory, the disease ravaged the islands of Japan in the late 730s and proved fatal for somewhere between one quarter and one third of the entire population. While it was a common belief that this illness was Prince Nagaya's revenge, that was not the only explanation offered by religious authorities. Not to be outdone by the Buddhists, advocates of kami worship offered two explanations for the source of the sickness. The three gods who made up the Sumiyoshi Sanjin, which are Sokotsutsu, Nakatsutsu, and Uwatsutsu, were also said to have caused the sickness. While fatalities were almost certainly higher among the commoners who lacked the benefit of servants to care for them, many nobles at court contracted the disease and died as well. Among the nobles who died from smallpox were all four of the Fujiwara brothers, who all died in 737. Muchimaro, the eldest and most prominent, died the day after he was officially promoted at long last to his father's post of Minister of the Right, Udaijin. The descendants of the Fujiwara brothers, while still taking the illustrious family name, also identified themselves as descending from a specific brother through the use of an additional name according to which cadet branch they belonged. Muchimaro founded the Nankei branch. Its name comes from Muchimaro's home in the capital, which was located in the southern part of Heijo-kyo. Hence, the Nankei branch is also called the southern branch of the Fujiwara clan. The second oldest brother, Fusasaki, founded the Hokkei branch. His home was located in the northern section of Heijo-kyo, so the Hokkei branch is also called the northern branch of the Fujiwara. The third brother, the great warrior Umakai, founded the Shikike branch. Rather than being named for the direction of his home like his older brothers, this branch was named for the governmental bureau called Shikibu, the Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs, where Umakai was serving when he died. The youngest brother, Maro, founded the Kyoke branch. Its name was derived from Maro's office just like Umakai's, in Maro's case, he had been serving as Sakyo Nodaibu, chief of the eastern capital offices. The Kyo part of the name, just like in Heijo Kyo, refers to the capital, 
So this branch is also sometimes called the capital house of the Fujiwara. The disease eventually ran its course, leaving its survivors scarred but immune from future outbreaks. The deaths of the various ministers, counselors, and bureau chiefs meant that there were now many positions open within the government. While the Fujiwara brothers all had managed to produce sons before they died, most were still too young and insufficiently ranked to take up key positions traditionally held by their family. Before we talk about who filled the shoes of the Fujiwara brothers after the epidemic had finished its terrible work, I'd like to take a brief step back to 734, when the diplomatic mission who had been sent to the Tong court the previous year returned with their usual haul of treasure, as well as two particular Japanese dignitaries who had been living in Tong, China since 717, when the previous embassy went to the Chinese court. These men were the scholar Kibi Makibi and the Buddhist monk Gembo. The monk Gembo returned with quite a haul of esoteric sutras, over 5,000 scrolls worth of them, as well as a vast store of wisdom he had gained studying under the Chinese counterpart of the Hosso sect. Emperor Shomu's court, greatly impressed by Gembo, appointed him to Kofukuji Temple as the Sojo, or abbot. Kibimakibi returned with an impressively large collection of Tong knowledge, which included books on astronomy, philosophy, military strategy, science, historical records, and music. Along with this vast library, he brought musical instruments, weapons, the game of Go, and the craft of embroidery. Emperor Shoumu, impressed with both his gifts and his character, granted him the fifth rank at court, one which made him potentially eligible for many high offices and was generally reserved for the upper crust of the nobility. In 738, the state bureaucracy had been decimated by the smallpox epidemic, but by this point immunity had been built and the emperor set the wheels of state back into motion once more. Shomuten no appears to have taken personal responsibility for the disastrous outbreak and responded in part by ordering the construction of a new Buddhist temple, the largest and most impressive building Japan had ever created. It's possible he had been reading through the Chinese histories which Kibimakibi had brought from the mainland, and his choosing to build a Buddhist temple displays yet more court preference for elevating Buddhism above the native cult. As plans for the temple were underway, the court needed a new kuge to lead now that the Fujiwara brothers were gone. Prince Toneri and Prince Nitabe had also been taken by smallpox, which is partly what led to the belief that Prince Nagaya's restless spirit had caused the illness. Regardless, a new leader was chosen for the now very powerful post of Udaijin. To fill this office, Emperor Shomu promoted Tachibana Moroe. Moroe was quickly promoted first to the post of Dainagon, or Great Counselor, to qualify him for the office. Possibly fearing the further anger of Prince Nagaya's vengeful ghost, or 
possibly just because there were almost no other high-ranking members of court qualified for the office, Shomuten no elevated Prince Suzuka, Nagaya's brother, to the office of Daijo Daijin, or Chancellor. Suzuka and Moroe appear to have worked well with each other, as far as I was able to research, and their promotion was but the first of many. Gembo was elevated to the post of high priest and began performing esoteric rituals in the palace chapel. This was a huge promotion, especially considering that Gembo had only been in country for a few years after living in China for almost 20 years before. In the minds of some Kuge, this strange monk was practically a foreigner. Kibimakibi was predictably promoted as well, having become a favorite of the emperor and empress. He was made the chief of the palace guards, an important post which indicated a high level of trust from the emperor. Just like Gembo, Makibi's promotion and growing influence raised eyebrows among longtime courtiers who likely felt that after a lifetime of serving well and earning promotions that they were being eclipsed by someone whose chief accomplishment was having taken an extended vacation. Feeling particularly snubbed by this sudden deluge of promotions was Fujiwara Hirotsugu, a son of the late Umakai. Hirotsugu was promoted to junior assistant minister in the Shikibu, the famous Ministry of Ceremonial Affairs in which Fujiwara Muchimaro had once served as chief minister. There was a great reluctance to promote too many Fujiwara, largely because of the fear that Prince Nagaya's restless spirit would be offended and wreak havoc upon the nation once again. Thus, those Fujiwara who did manage to wrangle appointments from the court were relegated to junior assistant ministry positions, like Hirotsugu's, and kept from being the head of any given bureau, much less a high office like Sadaijin. Hirotsugu was frustrated by what he saw as the promotion of relatively unimportant kuge like Kibimakibi and Gembo. It's not too difficult to understand his perspective. Throughout his young life, his father had received many important appointments and served the emperor well. Now that it became clear that his career track was unlikely to meet with a similar upward bend, he was forced to consider the possibility that someday, Kibimakibi might become minister of the right, or even chancellor, and have authority even over him. He made no secret of his hatred toward Makibi and Gembo, mocking them at every opportunity, and even blaming them for the smallpox outbreak that had taken his father and uncles. After all, it wasn't long after they arrived when the sickness began. Perhaps the epidemic had really been caused by the kami, angered that these men, practically foreigners really, were now advising the sovereign on matters of state. The likelihood of success in getting either Makibi or Gembo, or ideally both, removed from court, was practically eliminated when shortly after Gembo's big promotion, Emperor Shomu's mother recovered from her mental illness and was able to visit her son for the first time in 36 years. Some part of Hirotsugu must have realized that his efforts would be in vain once Shomu Tenno had a tearful reunion with his mother 
which he had probably thought impossible for most of his life. Nevertheless, Hirotsugu's opposition to their appointments continued until the two upstart Kuge decided that they had endured enough. The two rising stars of the court had two especially powerful allies on their side, Tachibana Moroe, who had suggested their appointments in the first place, and the emperor himself. In 738, under the recommendation of both the emperor and the Tachibana Udaijin, Fujiwara Hirotsugu was appointed vice-governor of Dazaifu and dispatched to Kyushu as quickly as possible. There is really no way one could interpret this reassignment as a promotion. Its qualifications for rank were far below that which Hirotsugu had attained, and it was about as far from the capital and the court as could be. You might be wondering why they didn't at least make him the full governor outright of Dazaifu, which would have definitely been the superior appointment. Hirotsugu had previously been serving as governor of Yamato province, so to assign him as vice-governor was a clear demotion. No doubt Kibimakibi and Gembo delighted in rubbing salt in their rival's wounds while possibly understanding that Kyushu needed a lot of help recovering from the devastation of smallpox and that this would hopefully keep the angry young man busy. It was an exile in everything but name, and there is no doubt that Hirotsugu felt his banishment most keenly when he arrived in Dezaifu to take up his post. What he found in the westernmost island, however, was probably quite shocking. Kyushu had gotten the worst of the epidemic, and was still years away from recovery. Many villages had been abandoned, their farms laying unworked, and some even reclaimed by natural growth. The few sparse settlements that remained were filled with scarred and traumatized people, all of whom had almost certainly buried some of their loved ones in recent years. The distant capital had fallen far from its former glory, but was still expected to perform its duties, welcoming foreign dignitaries and those returning from travel abroad, as well as approving people for travel to the mainland. The villages and farms were also expected to pay their usual tribute to the imperial court. In the best of years, villages around Japan could pay their tribute and still generally have enough to live on, though not enough for a real surplus. In lean years, meals might have smaller portions and be eaten less often, but generally people could mostly survive. Kyushu in 738 was in the grips of a full-blown post-pandemic famine. Too few farmers tilling too few fields meant too little food for people who had already suffered so much from the outbreak of smallpox. So why did the imperial court insist on continuing to collect taxes in the midst of such suffering? Emperor Shomu, in his quest to satisfy whatever angry spirits had caused the epidemic, had called for the building of a great temple in Nara, the biggest temple yet attempted by the Japanese. Across the land, people were conscripted as laborers, and food tributes were needed more than ever to feed the workers and trade for lumber and tools that they would need. This meant that while the people of Kyushu were certainly suffering more than their fellow Japanese on the other islands, these distant neighbors really weren't doing much better. No doubt as travelers would pass through Dazaifu, 
they informed Fujiwara Hirotsugu of this national misery while he entertained them at his distant court. After two years serving at Dazaifu, perhaps believing that he might be recalled to the capital any day to serve in a role more befitting a man of his experience and, more importantly, family background, Hirotsugu grew frustrated enough to make his discontent known. He wrote a letter of petition addressed directly to the emperor, declaring that the many disasters that had afflicted the nation in recent years were directly caused by the poor advice given to him by Kibi Makibi and Gembo, accusing them of corruption. Unfortunately for Hirotsugu, his letter would not be read by Emperor Shomu directly, but would pass first through the hands of Tachibana Moroe. The rising star of the court who had been rapidly promoted to make him eligible for service as Udaijin had recommended both Kibimakibi and Gembo for their present positions. To criticize the work of either man would be understood as likewise criticizing the person who had supported them. Moroe informed the emperor of the letter, no doubt coloring its contents with his own interpretation of Hirotsugu's intentions. He recommended the emperor summon the vice-governor to the capital at once so that he might answer for his ridiculous suggestion that the state wasn't doing enough to aid the people still suffering through the ripples of the epidemic. Emperor Shomu agreed, and the summons was sent. When the summons arrived at the Zaifu, Hirotsugu understood its meaning. He would travel to the capital, stand trial for slander against the state, and be punished accordingly. However, he had no intention of leaving Kyushu, nor of putting his fate into the hands of his enemies. He decided in short order that if Kibimakibi and Gembo had completely deceived the emperor into thinking that he, the head of the Shikike branch of the Fujiwara clan, was an enemy of the court, then he was duty-bound to remove the faithless ministers, just as his father had removed Prince Nagaya eleven years before. They would not get him without a fight. Next time, we'll talk about his fight, as well as the emperor's very telling response to the disturbance at Dazaifu. 